host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Thomas Drans. Tom, what's going on? Oh, not much, bud. I think last time we spoke, actually, you said that the sample size you like to, you prefer to have confidence in a team's performance is around the 30K mark. Yeah. And that's pretty much exactly where we are right now. Essentially, every team, except for, I believe, the Ottawa Senators, have played at least 30 games so far this season. Yep. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the Western Conference today. Initially, I thought we'd do the full league, but I think we should split this up just so we can have a thorough and proper conversation and give each team its due diligence. And so we're going to start with the West today. When we come back in the new year, you and I will reconvene and we'll do the East. And we're going to go through the top teams, the ones that we believe will factor into the Stanley Cup conversation and have a legitimate chance to compete for the Stanley Cup this season. And we're going to present the bear and the bull case for each one in terms of why, if you want to talk yourself into being high on them as a contender, you can. And if there's some reservation or red flags or reasons for potential concern, why that would be the case too. Let's go. So who do you want to start with? Do you want to do this in terms of division? Do you want to do it in terms of the betting odds, how the market sees these teams? Yeah, well, so first of all, if you go to bet, the Stanley Cup winner will come from which conference, right? You'll get longer odds out of the east than you will out of the west like the west is seen mildly by vegas as the like stronger division right the winning conference east minus 125 west minus 105 which is like roughly pick them but yes. the, the fact is is that um the sorry i've got that wrong <laughs> the the west is seen as having Longer odds to win the Stanley Cup, and I actually it, think it's pretty much the same. It's it's fifty. It's it's yes. pretty close, but I actually think that's wrong. Like I think there's value in the West because I think these Western teams are stronger. Like a- across the board, I think the West is stronger than the East this year, and so I, I am really curious to see this race. It feels like the Pacific, in particular, with the top three teams, and then Edmonton as a dark horse. I mean, that is an absolute gauntlet. And then you look at the Central and those top three teams. I mean, Winnipeg's been playing great hockey. Why don't we go with the odds to win the conference and start with plus 450 is the is the two sort of favorites tied. Let's begin out of respect for the defending champs with the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, here's just my one quick point on that. I think I guess you could look at it from the perspective of there's a real case to be made right now that like the five best teams in the league are in the West. I think so. Like as of right now in terms of how they're playing, I know that the Rangers and the Bruins, I believe lead, are one, two in point percentage in the league, but yeah. like just in terms of depth and quality well, and, and their profile, like those teams yeah. profile as the sorts of teams that we often see stride into the playoffs with 115 points and then struggle to get it done because they don't control play that well. Five on five. Yes. And the, I guess what the issue though, is that, the gauntlet you're going to have to run if you're one of these Pacific teams where you could conceivably be playing like the third best team in the league in round one yeah. and then like the second best team in round two, potentially, depending on how it shakes out, just to get to the West final. Um, these teams have depth, but certainly you can make the case that if you get hot in the East right now, you could have a smoother ride and be in better shape heading into whatever Stanley Cup final matchup you get into. So I think that would be the logic there. But certainly I think a lot of the power right now resides in the West. Let's do the Vegas Golden Knights. I actually had them last on my list here. I didn't sort them in terms of my preference for them. It's just the way that I wrote it out, but that's fine. They are 21, 8, and 5 right now, plus 25 goal differential. I mean, it's about as well-rounded a team as you're going to see, right? Yeah. They're seventh in expected goals generated. They're fifth in expected goals against allowed. They're 11th in the power play, eighth in the penalty kill. They're essentially a top 10 team in like every single category you could think of they've got the depth right now they're using Yuri Patera in net because Aiden Hill's out they don't want to ride Logan Thompson too much doesn't matter like I know they've given up a bunch of goals recently but they're playing a long game I guess what's the okay so the bull case here is they're the team they were last year and you can make a case that once Theodore comes back based on how he was playing prior to getting hurt they could be even better because he was sort of a limited version of himself last year when they won the Stanley Cup, and he's such a difference maker. So this team, as good as it was last year, brought everyone back and could conceivably be even better. Yeah, I mean... That's I think, a pretty compelling bull case. I think the bull case is, you know, that we have watched this team... We, we're used to seeing Stanley Cup champions put it in cruise control, right? 
um, in in the the next season, especially in the early part. Vegas has a six ninety one point percentage, right? Forty seven seven points in thirty four games. What if this is them in cruise control? To me, that's the scary thing. Like we know what this team's fastball looks like. We know it's virtually unhittable, and yet I don't know that we're seeing their best night to night yet. Um, I'd add this. I'd add this. I think Jack Eichel's become a totally different caliber of player. Not that he wasn't like, I was always a believer. I always thought he was great, but seeing him live, the one time I've seen him watching this Vegas golden Knights team play, it it feels like his control of games. Like he's at, he's at a puppet master stage um, of his career at this point. It honestly reminds me a little bit of like prime Joe Thornton, except he's got the cup. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think they have a top 10 player. I think they have the most forward depth in the league, and I think they have the best blue line in the league. And then Aiden Hills got a nine three four save percentage following up his incredible run in the Stanley Cup final last year, which is you know the the best save percentage you'll find from any goalie making over four and a half in terms of their cap. It uh, an incredibly complete team. Well, and with Eichel now, they're using him in a different way too, right? All of a sudden, now we're seeing them. You know, he had so much success with Barbashev and Marshall so last year yeah. as that line. Now, now they're using him with Stone, Stone and, and, and awesome. how they play off of each other. They're using he's replaced Riley Smith with William Carlson on the penalty kill. And those mm-hmm. two guys, it seems like they create a breakaway chance shorthanded every time they're out there. So yeah, I mean they've kind of figured out they've calibrated themselves perfectly for hitting all the right notes. I think the scary thing about them is Braden McNabb is the only defenseman on the team that has not only played every game, but like every other guy has missed at least five games, right? Petrangelo, Martinez, Theodore, Nick Haig, White Cloud, all those guys have been out for extended periods of time throughout the season, and they're still generating these results. So that would temper whatever your bear case would be against them, right? Because for me, it would be, all right, this team has quite a few guys who are either in their 30s or have had previous serious health issues. Yep. And that's always scary when you're relying on that for four more rounds come the playoffs. But if any team could survive an injury to a key player along the way, it's, it's this one. Well, right? we've already seen it. Like, I think Shea Theodore is their most important defenseman. He was hurt throughout the playoffs last year, right? He didn't have that wrist shot. Like, he didn't have the usual velocity on his shot that he that he does. Uh, he was playing third pair minutes. Didn't matter. Um, and now he's been out of the lineup in the early going, and they're still one of the five best teams in the league. Uh, I mean, honestly, how many teams can af- can lose Shea th- a Shea Theodore-caliber player and still be great? Well, and all these guys, like, look at the usage, right? Petrangelo plays 24 minutes or whatever, but even he at 5-on-5 five five isn't even, like, the top 70 in the league in terms right. of usage. And then you've got Shea Theodore, who's out now at 23-23, Eichel at 20-30, and no one else plays 20 minutes, right? Like, so if you want to say, all right, there's guys with injury histories or age-related concerns if anyone can mitigate that by just not exposing them to too much it's this team and they're doing that right and that's kind of the success of of last year where they were able to basically just balance out all three pairs and all four lines throughout and so they were as fresh as possible by the time they got to the Stanley Cup final well look at the look at the discipline with which they're sticking with Paterka right I mean they know the value of having a fresh goalie in the playoffs because they had the fresh goalie in the playoffs last year and they outdueled Jake Ottinger right I mean um, and then, and then you think about the depth up front, right? I mean, between that sort of like Carrier, Wa, Colasar line, right? They have an unbelievable fourth line. But if you need to play Nick Wa in your top six, which means four forward slots ahead of where he plays, you're literally zero percent concerned about it. He's like an above average <laughs> second line forward in in. Two different spots, like both on the wing and at center. Uh, you know, I, I don't think people appreciate that Chandler Stevenson's like a top 10 five-on-five point scorer over a multi-season sort of haul of points. Like, just because he's not a power play stud doesn't mean that he's not a bona fide first-line center. Same goes for William Carlson. I mean, it's just dizzying how much this team has. Yep. Okay, let's keep it moving. I think everyone knows what to expect from the Golden Knights. Well, do- I, I just, on the, I will really quickly on the Bear case. Yeah. It's health, it, which is, it, the, I guess, the very case for everyone. But well, And I think one other thing, which is that to this point in the season, they haven't been elite under the hood. Like, through 30 games, we haven't seen this team dominate play. I think they have, though. Like I, like I just said, they're 
I think they're fifth in expected goals against and seventh in expected goals generated. Like they yeah. they dominate the quality still at both ends of the ice. Yeah. I'm but they I'm, they I'm, also usually generate uh, dominate the shot attempts and they haven't. They do, but last year they they definitely took a step back in that regard, and yeah. I think it was by design. And I, so I agree with you. I'm not worried about that. I, I'm not fully worried about it, right? But I am noting it. Yeah. I think I think partly why I'm buying the bull cases that I've seen this team's fastball, but on form to this point in the season, you know, I worry that there's a real possibility they're the third best team in their own division. Yeah. I see that. They're just still, they're still the smoothest transition team in the league. And they're like, they're whatever the, uh, the perfectly calibrated version of that, like analytics rockets team under Daryl Morey and James Harden, where it was like threes and dunks essentially. Right. Efficient for them. It's either a great rush shot or everything in the paint. Yeah. Like, there's no... They've cut out all that other fluff and riffraff on the outside. Same with defensively. And so, it's yep. it's a well-oiled machine. I, I, buy, I buy the Golden Knights case, but I do think it's worth noting that partly, you know, we are giving them the benefit of the doubt because they haven't had elite form to this point in the season. Well, let's go to the Kings then because they're all not only in the same division. You do the Kings instead of the Avs? I was going to just do all Pacific Division okay, teams, sure, but also, sure, sure. also, I think the parallels between those two teams, and we've discussed why, like a playoff series between them would be so riveting because they're just mirror images of each other from yeah. sty- like stylistically how they're playing well, and, and how they're built. Yeah, like so I think I think the fact that they're mirror images of each other is self conscious, uh, especially on the part of the LA Kings. Except for the Kings, and we've spoken about this, continue to be massively underrated by the market. They've come up Hugely. a bit. But they're still barely a top 10 team in terms of Stanley Cup odds. Right. And to me, that does not line up with anything we've seen this season and any projection moving forward because for whatever reason, there's still a level of disrespect because of like the high-end talent. But what with what we've seen from the top line with Quinton Byfield leveling up, I know Pierre-Luc Dubois has been a disappointment and easy to get your jokes off. I still think that represents an interesting wrinkle to them in the playoffs. And then with Kevin Fiala, of course, and the blue line, I don't think there really is that lack of high-end talent at the top of the lineup if you're telling me this this first line is going to perform the way they have. So let's go with the Bear versus Bull case. I mean, yeah. The, the Just really quickly, I want to say about Pierre-Luc Dubois, six and a half on ice shooting clip. That's it. Yeah, That's and, what we're seeing. And he's playing with he's playing with a rookie and a, uh, Alex Laferriere and Arthur Kaliev, right? Like, yeah. And they brought him in not to dominate in game 30 of the regular season, but hopefully... Give them turn it on an and, and play some bully bu- and play some bully ball yep. and get higher danger opportunities around the net and TBD on that. But I'm not. We're gonna just close the door on that because we haven't seen it in the first 25 games, he, right? I, I think I think he's been way better than the results indicate, and I think the uh, the truth of that will show um, as we go down the line. You're right though about the market disrespecting them, like plus 650 to win the West. Uh, only like of this seven. The seven teams we'll discuss, only Edmonton and Vancouver have lower odds. Now, maybe Vegas hmm. is a homer for the Vegas Golden Knights, but I doubt it. Um, you know, I, I, I don't understand how, like, Winnipeg should have better odds to win the conference than them. That, what are they right now, 13-1 or something like that? To win the West. No, but to, to win the Cup. Oh, to win the Cup, I will check. But to win the West, they're 6.5-1. Uh, they're to one, Right. And to win, like, the outright winner... Sorry. Last time we spoke, which was like three weeks ago around American Thanksgiving, I believe they were 17 to one. And at the time we highlighted them as if you're into this sort of thing, you should be all over it, buying some King stock. And I think they've gone up to like 13 to one or so since 14, then, 14 yes. to one. which is still, it's come up and it's still not nearly enough, right? That's like, that makes them like the eighth or ninth or 10th best team. And that's just not the case. The, well, this is the thing, right? Like the Kings, unlike the, like the Kings have had some bounces in their favor. Certainly I don't expect their um you know their their goaltending to be this good all season long. I, I'm not saying Cam Talbot's gonna turn into a pumpkin or whatever, but I mean they've had above average goaltending, you know, they've been um a pretty high PDO team for most of the year. But under the hood, like the Kings look like the class of the West. I mean, they're controlling play better, they're controlling expected goals better, they're controlling everything you want to see a team control five on five better than Vegas, materially better than Vegas, better than Colorado. And then you watch them play and it looks complete, right? The mobile D, uh, the way that they're a- able to generate 
offensively in, in a in a far more sophisticated way than they have been in the past, where it was like good structural hockey, they work hard, it's a disciplined team, they're defensively sound, but there wasn't any pizzazz, dazzle, Byfield, Dubois, I think have given them more of that. Um, not to mention, you know, Fiala being completely healthy, I think has made a, a world of difference, unsurprisingly. I, I, I just can't see a flaw with this team well, def- other than in that best team in the league defensively sport logic has them first in expected goals against first in slot shots against first in total shots against fourth in ozone time surrendered ridiculous now yes 926 and a plus six goals able expected from cam talbot is obviously on the high end and i wouldn't expect that moving forward i think the bigger concern for me with copley out now is that he's already banked 20 starts so far this season and at his age i don't really want if you if you view talbot as being your playoff goalie i don't want him getting into some crazy games play total Do you in the think regular they season. Talbot as their playoff goalie? I, I, they're, I don't. They're going to add a body. Wow, I think they're sniffing around Jacob Markstrom. But that would obviously be like a big splash. I don't think that's even necessary for this team because the defensive environment is so great. And he's actually a goalie, I think, who kind of struggles with sound defense. You almost well, want Markstrom behind a running I don't team. want him kind of falling asleep and yeah. then giving up a point shot no, for no Markstrom, reason. I want Markstrom for the Devils. Yes, yeah. But I think they're like I think they're exploring everything because I I think they are about as all in as you can be. Mm-hmm. I I know like the Dubois trade for example like he's like what twenty five twenty six yeah. like it's not a one year move no but like they're pretty serious about not being a good regular season team who loses again to a more star power team in round one like I think they desperately want to take that next step well and they and they should be yeah. like they should be I think they're ready to be uh, I look at this team and all I see is bull case like. This, I think they're going to win the Pacific. I think they're the best team in the Pacific. Um, you know, the only the only doubt I have is that we're we're only seeing Vegas at, at like a seventy percent canter. That's that's my only like for me. That's the bear uh, the bear case on the Kings is we haven't seen Vegas throw their fastball yet. The bear case for me, I know they're sixth in the league in goal scored this season. They're like eighteenth in power play efficiency, mm. and if you look, they still rely on volume quite a bit yeah like they're middle of the pack in terms of slot and inner slot shot stuff and that worries me a little bit because while you know i think the top line like with the way byfield's passing like the other night he's like doing no look through the legs passes and it's it's like he's on another level right now he gives them that dynamic playmaker if dubois doesn't level up though and give them what they thought they were getting i i'm still a little bit worried in terms of like you watch that kraken game and they dominated it they were being pushed a lot to the outside. They it was were, a lot yeah. of cycling the puck around, taking it, a low percentage shot. It was a tough back to back, though. It was. But that's, I think that's like in the back of my mind. Yeah. That's still my only real lingering concern, much more than whoever they have in net or anything. Because I think you or I could have a 9-15 save percentage there. Like, like they don't give up anything. Like, it's 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 immaculate. I, I could only do it because of my girth. Yeah. Um, just just stand there and soak up some <laughs> soak up some shots. Um, <laughs> like, uh, like Martin Prince in the Simpsons episode. Um really quickly just want to talk about byfield because with the puck you know you're mentioning the through the legs passes the flash that he's got um the the comp that i see when i watch him play with the puck is like prime mike hoffman like ottawa senators deep playoff run version of mike hoffman just in that you know he doesn't have the speed game they're they're not similar in terms of their profile obviously hoffman had the perimeter shot but it it was like that ineffable unguardability that mm. that and the and the willingness, the creativity to try stuff that Byfield has that really reminds me of Hoffman. But where Byfield's, I think, taken that extra level where I start to really look sort of cross-eyed at at what his potential ceiling could be. Um, it, it's the off puck stuff. It's it's the forecheck stuff. It's it's how disruptive he has been away from the puck, and then how he can leverage that to quickly turn it into quick strike offense. I, I mean. I think there's a possibility that we're seeing the start of something really special for him. Yeah. I mean, he's like, with his playmaking at that size and his puck protection, it's sick. I, I think we can go above Prime Mike Hoffman. I get what you're saying, but we could go like yeah. Joe Thornton. Oh, I, I I mean, comps in his draft year were Evgeny Malkin. Yeah. And, and given that it took him so long... Right. to arrive as a, as you know even a top end performer or or like a top 6 performer or a top line performer however you want to rate him now i think the chances of him actually hitting that ceiling are low right but if he was ever going to well that's a historical grade but, yeah. so 100% right. but i'm saying if he was ever going to this is what it would start to look like yeah 
Yeah, I mean, everything we've seen this season, I just want I just want more of it. Yeah, just, just hook me up. Hungry um, for more. Okay, we got time for one more team before we go to break here. Okay. Do you want to stick with the Pacific Division, or do you want to get into the Central a little bit and mix and match? Yeah, let's. Uh, well, no, let's do the uh, let's do the Oilers. Okay, I think. Let's I mean, do it. I know that's a prime time team to talk about. So if you want more, well, time. we could do a full show on that. But no, let's do it. Yeah. So fourteen, fifteen, and one right now. Twenty fifth in the league in point percentage, a net neutral a goal differential. Ten of their fourteen wins have been by three or more goals. Nine of their fifteen losses have been by more than three goals. It's been <laughs> about as high and low as you're going to get since the coaching change, though. 11 and 6 plus 16 goal differential and here's the kicker Tom. I think this is what's really made a difference and it unlocked them. So under Jay Woodcroft to start the year, the combination of McDavid, RNH and Hyman played 28 total seconds at 5 on 5 as a line. Mm-hmm. Under an all block, 133 minutes. Here are the numbers for you. Shots on goal 110 to 48. This is at 5 on 5. Ew. High danger chances 58 to 12. A seventy-eight point one percent expected goal share, and the shot and the goals are fifteen to five. And then, if you want to cut it in even finer, when they're out there with the Ekholm Bouchard pairing in ninety-three minutes, they have an eighty-two point eight percent expected goal share. Jeez, that's insane. This is five on five. Um, now, obviously, I think the difference is certainly McDavid, but also Ekholm are significantly healthier than they were than yeah. they were at the start of the season. Yep. So I think that makes a big difference. I don't want to act like Knobloch's a genius here by getting McDavid to play this well. I think that's the elephant in the room. But you're seeing that burst again, right? We, we lamented at the start of the year where McDavid was still, for a mere mortal, really good, but he wasn't like getting around people and just treating them like minor inconveniences along his way to the net as opposed to like actual roadblocks. And now he's doing that again. Like yeah. people are just bouncing off of him. He's getting to wherever he wants to get to. And so if he's going to play this well, I- I'm still wary of this team because the goaltending and because it seems like this is just the season from hell. But every underlying marker suggests that this is one of the best teams in the league. I- I'm I'm not worried about it. Like I-, I have sold zero Oilers stock. I came into the season thinking they were one of the best teams in the league and they hit like an absolute dismal stretch. I mean, there's no way to understate it. They almost frittered away their entire season. Even after the Sharks lost, you you were still buying stock? I I, I was still holding. Right. 100%. But partly at that point, because there was nothing to do with that distressed (laughs) stock. No, but also because they were a lead under the hood. Like, you know, it takes me 30 games. You're calling your portfolio manager being like, "Uh, you can't win them all. I mean, that's what they're telling me about my Kraken stock. (laughs) But uh, But the Oilers... The Oilers played 15 games, a lead under the hood, with absolutely zero results. And, you know, there's a reason I wait for 30 games. Like, now we've seen enough of the bull case from the Oilers over the last 15 games, the second half, that I think we have a good sense that, hey, this team is flawed. There are issues, especially in net, but the fundamentals of what they're able to do, especially at the top of the lineup, are so impressive that... No one's going to be shocked if they win at a 115-point pace between now and the end of the year. Vegas isn't going to be shocked. Vegas has never sold their stock either, uh, and there's real money on the line. Um, like, I look at Ekholm Bouchard, you know, they're plus 200 in shot attempts, and they're basically a five, like a, a 50-50 goals for, goals against line. Um, they've survived. The fact that they've survived to be sort of positive goal differential contributors with the underlying environment they've they've dealt been dealt in terms of the quality of goaltending even a low shooting percentage amazing given how often they share the ice with mcdavid mm-hmm. like we're gonna get a stretch of 15 games where the oilers are like plus 20 with that pair on the ice well and, and when that happens this team's going to be uh, i mean they're just gonna eat like they're just gonna eat i have no doubt about it I mean, mcdavid has 33 points in his past 17 games he afforded everyone such a head start and yeah. yet he's still the betting favorite for the heart and he's like 14 points behind Kucherov, but in yeah. five fewer games, and also it's McDavid, so well, I wouldn't ever bet against him. We'll talk about it when we get to the Avs, but I, I, Connor, uh, Nathan McKinnon's currently fifth in Hart Trophy voting, and I feel like people should be uh, buying that. Yeah, I mean, we will talk about that. They're fourth in expected goals against defensively, so despite all the concerns about the goal taking and everything, they've gotten much better in their biggest weakness, which is rush, rush defense yep. since the coaching change. 
They're first in like every offensive category in yep. terms of underlying numbers, right? And the power play is top five again. My concern here is there's two weaknesses on this roster beyond the goaltending. And, and that's like an, an easy one. I don't, if you address the other stuff, I don't even think it's that big of a concern because the firepower is just so good. And it's second pair right D. Yep. Because Cody CC and Nurse, even after the coaching change, it's are still good. below 50% in everything. And another top six winger, especially if you're going to use your forward lines this way, that can play with Dreisaitl and Kane and maximize those minutes offensively, right? And for me, for all the issues with this Ken Holland era and every blunder he's made along the way, the fact that they spent the 8th, 14th, and 22nd overall pick in three straight drafts and weren't able to mine either of those needs is a massive failure right yeah. and, and i'm not like writing off holloway and borgo yet i think broberg at this point at, at least in edmonton is fair to write off um but the fact that they didn't either draft develop or then monetize any of those guys into someone who could help in that capacity is an issue right well, like obviously I'm, yeah not that, not that they have the value that they would have as raw uncut right. draft picks draft capital yeah um you know they're they're more like gift cards than than cash on hand now I still think you should. I mean, there's still a rare profile in Holloway, you know. But yeah, Borgo's like one of those classic, like in two years, he'll surface as a really good bottom six forward. And it's just like, ugh. yeah, it's too late for this team, though. Like, they can't wait two years. No, right? they have to. They, that, but that's what I'm saying. They should they should aggressively go about monetizing. And, and one thing that I'd be sort of concerned about is, you know, there's uh, some uncertainty around Holland's future. Uh, what what happens after this year? We know they have a new president. But, like, I don't even think you need the answer in net. I think you need a goalie that guys believe in to turn things around. And, yeah, I think you're right. They could use some depth reinforcements uh, both on the back end and up front. Okay. So the two wild cards right now at, a, at time of recording, Predators and Coyotes. The Predators, 38 points in 33 games. The Coyotes, 36 and 32. The Oilers themselves are 29 and 30. Dom's model still has the Oilers 66%. I think the Oilers are going to face the winner of the Central. And here's the thing. Not only is there so much runway left, but they have three head-to-heads with the Coyotes left. They have three head-to-heads with like the Flames, who are slightly ahead of them right now. Um, And it's hilarious. We talk all the time about how like the rewards structure isn't nearly enough right now for like regular season dominance. Imagine winning the West, or when and and then having to play them in round one. Oh, I know. It's just. Is going to be a hilarious conversation to have in a couple months. Um, okay, Tom, let's take a break here. And then when we come back, we will keep going with our Western Conference teams. You're listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we are back here on the Hockey PDO cast with Thomas Drance. Tom, we've done the Golden Knights, the Kings, the Oilers. Do you want to do my final Pacific Division team here before we rattle off the Central ones? I know you love talking about the Vancouver Canucks, of course, so I think it's time for us to do that. 22-9-3, first in the West now in point percentage, plus 44 goal differential, which leads the league. First in team shooting percentage, 13.4%. Second in team save percentage, 918. Yet I still think, I, we've had these debates for weeks now, and I still think despite the PDO concerns and despite the percentages, this team is trending in a direction where I think they're better than you seem to. Uh, yes, I think you... <laughs> um, I'm, not, like, I'm not out... Mm. I'm just not nearly as high on them as you are. I think this team's probably the team we disagree on the most in the West. Well, w- w- the stars are going to come up in a second here. Let's okay, go. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, well, do you want to talk about the injury? Do you want to talk about what's changed? Sure. So. No, go for it. No, you, but you have good takes. I'll, I'll answer you. No, well, I, I wanted to break this down, like, offensively, defensively, and then where I'm at with this team. Okay. So, offensively. I think the fact that they are 32nd in rush chances, yet first in goals, because every time they get a rush opportunity, they're scoring, and lately it's been bottom six guys. It's not even the players you'd expect to score on those opportunities, sure. is something where I'm very dubious of that continuing, certainly, right? It's like, all right, this, they can't keep getting away with it. They can't. Yet, they've risen to the point where they are 
like they're 27th in attempts and 28th in raw shots, right? And so you look at that and you're like, all right, high shooting percentage, low volume, yep. yet still scoring goals. We know what happens here. But the profile here is interesting to me because I think like it's by design. I don't think like this is, I don't think they fell backwards into this by accident. Like I think Rick Tockett very clearly looked at this team and was like, I want us to play a certain way. And then he's getting them to play that way. Yeah, I agree with that. They're fourth in offensive zone time. Okay. They are 10th in inner slot shots. They are third in four check chances, sixth in rebounds, and ninth off the cycle. Mm-hmm. Like they clearly just want to grind out possessions, not only to insulate whatever concerns they have with blue line defense, speed, yeah. but also because that's sort of the personnel they have because they only really have a few players who would benefit in playing an up and down high octane style. Yeah. And so I I think that's right. I think that's probably what they should be playing. And, and with Demko and Nett playing the way he is, I don't expect Casey the Smith to keep being a 925 goalie every time he nope. plays, certainly. But um, the other function of this is they've led for like 47% of their game so far, and, right. and that's going to lead to sort of extreme highs and lows in terms of like percentages and efficiency and all that. We know so, that. So they've come up a bit on the cycle slot, or the inner slot shots. And yeah, stuff they there. have. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is a good sign. But a lot of it is like, is is the rebounds and stuff, right? And yeah. and for like the types of chances they're generating are typically ones around the net, which is hit or miss in terms of both being able to sustain it for a full season because those are effort based metrics and it's tough to do. And if you have injuries, you can be really screwed in that regard. But also, well, so the this, efficiency of it. This is where like it's about margins, right? Like this team for me, it's about margins when it comes to the Canucks. When when I look at this team and when I watch this team play, there's a lot of good hockey being played, and I don't want to take that away from them. Um, you know, I, I think the hockey we're seeing certainly from the Canucks third line, right? you know, is impressive. And I think a lot of the reason they're probably a little hot coming up a bit in terms of quality is like that line's legitimately generating quality looks at a, at an extremely high rate. Right. And they're beginning to get rewarded for it. Um, the top six is not generating enough in no. terms of that quality stuff. There's a lot of offensive zone possessions that kind of go nowhere or result in like a deflection or yep. a fortunate goal. I'm seeing way too much one and done from this team. Um, and they're just lucky because a lot of that, or in my opinion, because a lot of that one and done ends up in the back of the net. Yes. A, a lot of rush wrist shot goals. Like a lot of the, a lot of the goals that the Canucks are scoring are goals that over the years I've trained myself to not read into. I've trained myself to be like, that's the one-off stuff that will trick you if you buy it. Yep. And, and this team's living off of it. So that's sort of my, you know, it's not a pure like PDO take. It's, it's literally what I'm seeing is not enough good offense, especially when Vancouver's best players are on the ice five on five. Uh, they have a lot of outs, right? Like there are there are real strengths of this team that I believe in terms of the power play, which actually hasn't been hot of like yeah. for a month now, but I still believe in um, in terms of the the star level contributors, the goalies. I believe in their defense, but there are so many stretches, like in Dallas on Thursday night, where. Over the course of a long season, most of the time, if you get speed bagged like that for thirty minutes, you're down three nothing, mm-hmm. right? But the Canucks are down one, and it and partly that's a reflection of their goaltending talent. Partly it's a reflection of their defensive play, but also at partly at some point, if you keep getting away with that, you're not going to like. And if you keep scoring this efficiently, that's not going to last. So. If you're a little bit lucky in a lot of areas, right? And the Canucks have been remarkably healthy, especially at the mm-hmm. top of the lineup. They've been remarkably fortunate in terms of the chances they're finishing. Yep. They've been remarkably fortunate in terms of the the saves they're getting, even if it is partly the product of really good goaltending and really good defensive play. Both of both factors of this team that I absolutely buy. Um, it's hard to over the course of 82 games, rely on being a little bit lucky literally everywhere to drive. Now, granted, league best margins because they're first in goal differential. It can be hard to see how you, like, eat away at it. Yep. But it's just, as the margins get slimmer, right, the, the the game that becomes, you know, a 4-2 win earlier in the season all of a sudden is a 3-2 lead and Dallas scores with three to go and then you lose in overtime, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a slow drip accumulation of, of that as breaks start to go against you um, cause you to clearly be not an elite team. I, I think they're going to cruise in a third in the Pacific. I think it's going to be a remarkable season for this team, but I don't look at this team and see 
Like, I don't even see the bull case for them as a contender. Well, I mean, we have to include them on this list. Oh, they, they literally are first in the West right no, now. No, no, no. I mean, 100%. I'm not saying, I'm not saying they don't belong right. in the conversation. Right, right, right. But I'm saying I don't, I don't find the bull case for them as a breakthrough contender compelling, short of them adding an additional top six forward who can both drive, play, and eat. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. And you mentioned, like, there's stretches where they're getting speed bagged and they come out of it being down just one instead of down three they're coming out of these stretches being up one, up yeah right? no i know it's, it's like nothing happens for seven minutes and, and then... i think they're a good counter punching team like i don't think it's no but there's ones where like the puck is like bounces out in front of the net and neil zaman is there for a tap ta- it's just like all right that's they didn't yeah, no, i know it's they didn't amazing. do anything to generate that it just happened <laughs> yeah and and they've had a lot of those in succession so i'm with you i just think like listen my bull case isn't that they're a 22 9 and 3 true talent level team with yeah. a plus 44 goal differential Mine is that they're better than I thought they'd be, and no that they're like that. a seventeen, whatever the equivalent is. They're like an eighteen, thirteen, and oh yeah, yeah, four well, four team or something, which is still I would have told really you good into the season that they're a fringe playoff team, right? And I was wrong. They're a clear playoff team, and I think they're a clear playoff team on true talent, right? Uh, in a way that I didn't expect, especially with the upgrade in terms of how they control play as a result of, of talk its impact. Like I was too low too on talk its impact and talk its impact on the core group. Right. Because, you know, I didn't see Quinn Hughes. I th- always thought Quinn Hughes could be like a Norris caliber defenseman. I didn't think he could be, or at least I didn't expect him to be like one of the five most valuable skaters in the sport. Right. Like that. And that's what he's been this season. So there've been, there's been a lot that surprised me about this team pleasantly. Uh, I just, I'm I'm watching and I see good hockey, but I don't see sustainable contender level hockey. Okay, we're gonna have we're gonna keep talking about this all year. This isn't Canucks talk though, so no. we have to go and move on to other teams. We I, have like 15 I've, minutes I've left for upset, three teams. I've just upset so many people listening over the holidays. By the way, who are like, let us have sports happiness, <sighs> and I just want to know the like, Grinch just coming down. Well, here. for for everyone who says I'm negative, like if the Canucks were an out of market team that I wasn't, you know, paid to follow obsessively, like, yeah, I would be outright dismissive right of the idea that they're a contender yeah and and for longtime listeners of me they'll know like it's a profile thing like i'm pretty dismissive of the bruins and rangers for similar reasons <laughs> i like teams that control play five on five better uh, i think those are the teams that tend to really win the canucks don't look like one of those teams too. okay well let's talk about another team that you're outright dismissive of unfairly so the <laughs> dallas the dallas stars who are 19 eight and four sixth in point percentage plus 12 goal differential so here's the thing for me. My goal for them heading into the season, because I expect them to be a good team again, was I wanted to see them experiment on the margins with giving their young players as much rope as possible to see if they could step up and take control and fill in and supplement the top players they already have. Mm-hmm. Now, Logan Stankoven and Maverick Bork are just eating in the AHL, and they're just like biding their time until they come up, and I think we will hear from at least one of them, probably Bork, I'd, I'd imagine, first. Uh, because it was two-way game at some point this season. Yeah. Right? The defense, though, we like we need to have a Thomas Harley conversation because no defenseman in the league right now has more goal scored than him. He and with Quinn Hughes, right? Or did he him, and, him and Darlene and Hughes all have nine. Yeah. But he's playing like six minutes per night less than him. Yeah. He's playing 18-27 per night, right? And that's a step up from last year. He's up to third on the team in five on five usage. Like he's he's bridged the gap between him and Suter from last year, so it's not nearly as drastic as it was. But I still think it's not nearly enough. Like I think Pete DeBoer for the final fifty games of the season simply has to. Like if I'm in that front office, I'm just sitting him down and I'm being like, Pete, we have to every night find a way for Thomas Harley to play twenty three minutes tonight. Like it's it's just unfeasible. It's unacceptable. I, I, unconscionable he was certainly the best of the stars defensemen especially because uh i don't think miro has Haskinen was like dialed in offensively uh when when well the it's tough stars to be when you're playing with ryan Suter. like yeah, he's not good it, yeah. it, like it, it has to stop well i will say like when i watch harley and Haskinen, you know and i i see the impact like we're seeing the impact of of heronic with hughes but the fact is is that hughes managed these types of results last year with ethan bear Right? Like, you don't need the perfect guy. If you have a high end puck moving defenseman, we've seen it with Taves and Makar most successfully. We've, we saw it with Bear and Hughes, which is why I'd make the case on Harley. And even if you reject or Dallas rejects the premise of him being like 
elite, if that's how they view Philip Peronic. Um, you know, the fact is, is that when we had this idea that Quinn Hughes had to play with a defensive guy, and in fact, he was unleashed in terms of his impact, like putting him with a puck mover amplified his ability to control play, to, to play in the offensive zone, to defend 150 feet away from his net. I look at Harley and I think, man, the Stars are missing out on an opportunity here to have a similar impact with Haskinen. Well, here's the thing. He's played 80 minutes so far at 5 on 5 with Haskinen this year. And a yeah. lot of it is like either they're pushing for offense late in the game or an offensive zone draw where they're yeah, like, oh, we're going to get on the ship together, yeah. right? So it's, it's heavily slanted that way, extreme deployment. They're scoring like nearly six goals per hour yeah. with them on the ice at 5 on 5. Like it's, they're freakishly good. But their forwards are killers, man. Well, here's the thing. And I made this point at the start of the year, I believe, when I had Harley as one of my most interesting players when you and I did our our guys show. Mm -hmm. His skill set is get the puck up the ice quickly and join the rush. And then in the offensive zone, shoot for sticks. Yeah. And that's literally all the things their top line does better than anyone else in the world. (laughs) Yeah. And I can't think of a better compliment at the defense position than that. So, like, for them to not just be almost playing them as a four-man unit. Like, Harley just needs to jump on the ice whenever the top line gets out there. I know it's tougher with defensive defensive deployment and stuff like that to do that, but I just think they have to go out of their way because it's that stark of a difference when he's out there with them compared to everyone else. Uh, One thing I will say is I I like the speed and pop the Stars have added to the bottom end of their lineup. Well, Duchesne gave them real juice. Yeah, Duchesne... Duchesne lower down the lineup and in a new environment, he looks awesome at the moment. But I also think I also think Steele, who's sort of like, you know, poor man's Duchesne in some ways, has just added like an element of speed. Like they look so much faster this year than they did last year. And it just you watch the stars play now and it just kind of looks like um like a layup line, except everyone's doing a 360-degree tomahawk dunk in terms of their forward skill. It's a lot of fun. Well, not only did Duchesne... I like them more now than I did last year. I'll tell and you not much. only did Duchesne add, it, add his own juice, but he's also gotten more out of Sagan, Sagan and yeah. Mar- Marchman along the way, right? Yeah. And so I think that's really important. And so I guess the bear case for me is the players they have, or the, bo- the bull case is the players they have. The bear case is whether they're going to do enough to use all of them properly to get the most out of them. Because I think in an ideal world, I'm very, very high on this team. Realistically, with NHL coaching, though, probably might not get there unless they're forced to. So, yeah, I, there's a lot more ceiling there if they, I think, like, I definitely want to see what it looks like if they try Harley with Haskin in all game. Now, as much as Harley I, I, is way better than I've ever thought, like, I've kind of been low on him generally, just in terms of his defensive awareness, I've been more impressed of late. Um, but, you know, the Canucks 3-2 goal goes through him, right? Yeah. So you can understand. Well, you're playing him for offensive instincts. You're not mm-hmm. playing him to, no, I to know, hold I the fort. But... Well, but you kind of need to do both if you're going to play with Haskin. Okay. Let, let's do the Jets because we got to do the Avs at the end. I'm going to yeah. save as much time as we can for them. The Jets have been Is on fire. Is this fi- just going to be a love affair for their new look first line? On fire lately, 19-9-3 plus 24 goal differential. Are, are you saying Nikolai Ehlers should play more? I'm saying that's exactly what I'm saying. And not only that, like obviously him with Velarde recently has been Sick. phenomenal. Yeah. But 160 minutes with Shifley and Ehlers because they played with Connor before he went down as well. Yeah. 60% shot share, 60% expected goal share. And the point I was making in a recent show was even at their best in the past, the Jets didn't have a line that was just this dominant at 5-on-5, five five, right? They were always an efficiency quality turning their opportunities into goals team and all of a sudden now the value of having like a bonafide ice tilting soul crushing top line like this whether it is connor or velarde with those two guys is highly enticing for me so you add that with the depth up front of niederreiter appleton lowry perfetti i follow kapari when he's back this is a good team the blue line all the defensive metrics are in the top 10 very mobile group. Connor Hellebuck, after a slow start, has been phenomenal for the past like six weeks. I I like this team a lot. I think a very interesting litmus test for me will be if we can trust Rick Bonus and the Jets when Kyle Connor comes back, how they act. Because if it results in Nick Ehlers playing third line minutes again, yeah, I'm gonna lose my mind. Yeah, it's a travesty. I mean, this guy's the most underutilized star player of my lifetime. Honestly, honestly, we're getting to a point where I'm going to look at Nick Ehlers' 20s the way I do the Sedin Twins, where it was just like, 
you know, Mark Crawford just didn't play them enough early enough in their career, despite the fact that their results were through the roof. I mean, we're seeing it right now. Like, if you feature Nick Ehlers, you are a better team. Yeah, he's one of the he's one of the twenty best hockey playing human beings on the planet. Hmm? Let him be that. My Period. O- my only concern for this team is ironically the power play. They're twenty fourth in goals, dead last in, in expected goals. Now with the finishing talent, I think they're going to outperform whatever their expected goals are on the power play, yeah. especially when Connor comes back. I actually I'm going to pitch you on something now because okay. this player would come up when we talk about the Abs next. I think Elias Lindholm is the perfect player for this Winnipeg Jets team. I don't know if they're like in a position under Kevin Sheldayoff. I guess that one year where they were in it, right? They made the big splash trade for Paul Stasny and they went for it. Well, and, and they, they went and for Kevin the, Hayes as well. The next year, yeah. But beefing up down the middle so that guys like Nemesnikov and Lowry can kind of play more secondary roles as, as opposed to having to be like a top six center, insulating Connor potentially, right? Like that defensive conscience to help him in the top six and then yep. the power play utility, whether you want to play him in the bumper and move Shifley around or however you want to, you sort it out. I think a guy like Lindholm, I know he's going to be super expensive, both in terms of acquisition cost and also his next contract and, and whether he'd even want to sign long-term in Winnipeg. I get all the concerns and questions and reasons why it couldn't happen. I just think from like a player perspective and a fit though, I keep coming back to that as like a two-way center like that for this team that could just slot into that top six is exactly what they need right now. And so I would be very interested in that. But yeah, like there's very few, honestly, very few flaws right now with the way they're playing. It's It's been really fun. I'm here for it. And, you know, I, you know, the, even if you go like since December one, right? Nicky Lewis is fifth on the team in power play ice time per game. Like, you know, I don't want to make Nicky Lewis into like the cowbell of the Blue Oyster cult, but I don't, I don't want to be Christopher Walken here, but the answer is clear. Okay. He needs more Ehlers. We got to do the abs before we yep. get out of here, right? Let's do it. Eighth in point percentage, plus 18 goal differential. When they win, they're blowing teams out generally. When they lose, all sorts of chaos is you, ensuing. You can still get Nathan McKinnon 5-1 to one for the heart. You still can. And he leads the league in 5-1-5 five five scoring right now. Only four points behind Kucherov after this 17-game uh, point streak he's on. One quick thing here. And when though, he's, he's eating, like he's destroying. This, this run is incredible. But here's the thing. Okay, well, actually, this is the point I was going to make. With him and Rantanen on the ice at 5 5 this season, the Avs are scoring 4.1 goals per hour, yeah. which is elite. When those guys aren't out there, which is twice as often as when they are at 5 5 the team is barely scraping by at like 2.1 goals per hour. Yeah. And, well, and that's even with that Colton, O'Connor... Well, they've been good from like a suppression and like territorial perspective, well, but they haven't been scoring necessarily. No, but they're, they're playing well. Yes. You know, I mean... They're in the conversation for best third line in hockey. Well, they've been, yeah. Even though they've been used more heavily. Than no, they have. But second line. Okay, so since line. since December 1st, though, 11 games the Avs have played, here's the ice time of the top players. Val Nachushkin, 25-02. Yeah. Miko Rantanen, 24-05. Nathan McKinnon, 23-43. Like, Val Nachushkin is averaging 25 minutes a game on this team right now. This is prime Ilya Kovalchuk we're talking about. <laughs> and I know that, like... Lekkonen is out, right? So, like, there's, and they're just loading up that top line and using them whenever they possibly can. And I get it. I just think, in terms of like sustainability and outlook for the playoffs, unless there's reinforcements coming along the way, it's, it's a lot more of what we talked about last year. And I think that's concerning because you're talking about McKinnon eating and he's been otherworldly. Yeah. They're like nine, six, and two or something during this point streak he's on. Like, it, like, it's not good enough. Yeah. You're right. Considering how well he's playing and how many miles they're putting on the top guys, I I think that's concerning to me. They they might be missing most of a second line. Yeah, that's a problem. Well, and after they traded Tatar, right? There was a lot of rumblings around the league of like, yeah, side eyeing the ass. Like you know, you know when you do something and then, and then and then your dog like gives you like the whale eyes, where like you like yeah. like see the whites of his eyes. He's like kind of like skeptical, like what what you're up to right now, like kind of wary. Yeah, that's a lot. What a lot of teams around the league right now are doing. They're very. They're wondering. They're curious. That. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're going to need to airdrop a second line into the, or two thirds of a second line at least into this lineup. And that's not going to be easy. I, I mean, I, I just think when you look at what Vegas has. Yeah. Right, uh, if, if There's going to be too many minutes they're losing. Yeah. And, and look at LA too. I mean, you bump into one of the best teams in the Pacific. 
Um, you know, I think you're going to need more secondary push than the Avs can currently rely on. That that's the that's the bear case, and then the bull case would be this organization tends to do pretty well finding these guys. And I don't want to get into a scenario where I'm having to play against Nathan McKinnon for no 25 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> because they will probably be very scary. <laughs> I mean, also, like they you know they were pretty unfortunate, I think, against the Kraken, the top end of the Avs lineup. Yeah, like, I. I still buy this team. I don't know. Obviously. I mean, with like the ranting and stuff, right? Going after Lycanon's dad in the post game, and then Devon Taves like giving about his, as as like cutting a critique of his own teammates as you're ever going to get in the NHL. Yeah, it's giving me the vibes of like you know like you, I feel like you see this more in the NBA than in the NHL, where it's like a recent champion that's sort of sleepwalking through the regular season. Yeah, and then you're seeing the guys like start to get annoyed Inter- internally motivate like try to internally mo- motivate themselves through drama and through like yelling at each other to like get going and get the best out of each other now you would think that last year's performance against seattle i know that you know they were pretty banged up right and, and the chushkin didn't play and all that there's excuses for it but you'd think that that would have been wake that up wake call, up call yeah. this isn't a team that won the cup last year right so i think i think there's very compelling bear and bull cases for this team i think you can very easily see a scenario where it's much like last year, and, and it's yeah. a disappointing round one. Or they make some sort of an upgrade, and and all of a sudden Nathan McKinnon is just the best player in the world. And I think both are very in play. Yeah. So yeah, and more than anything, I just really like Nathan McKinnon's long shot shot odds for the Hart Trophy. I think this run that he's on, if it continues for like three more weeks, I think it really becomes a talking point, and I think it deserves to be. Me too. Okay, Tom, we got to get out of here. When we come back in a couple weeks, we'll do the Eastern Conference. Let's and we'll go. give him the treatment. I'll let you plug some stuff on the way out. Yeah, Canucks Talk returns January 2nd. Uh, I'm off from The Athletic for a bit, um, but you know there will be some content that I pre-wrote that will be dropping, and uh, really excited to cover what promises to be like an absolutely epic race for the Pacific Division crown. High stakes, too, because you get to avoid the other teams in the Pacific. Or, or in a round or, matchup against the Oilers. Or bump into Edmonton. Yeah. But e- anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned throughout 2024. I can't wait for it. Happy holidays to you and all your families. Well, looking for that. Happy holidays to you. I will be back on January 8th, I think. I'm taking nice. an extra week oh, off because I'm, I'm be very, very tired. Um, so <laughs> looking forward to that, to not only recharging my batteries, but hopefully being reintroduced to my family uh, because <laughs> I've just been here in the studio recording shows. Um, but knowing me, after a couple of days, I will be putting on like Kirill Marchenko clips and and grinding tape so uh i don't know how far how long i'll be away but i'll try my best to to recharge a little bit i hope everyone has a great holidays gets to spend some quality time with their loved ones i will see you soon until then thank you for listening to us on the hockey pdo cast streaming on the sports night radio network